Amen. Amen. Good morning. Good to be with you all. Uh, if you are <laughs> new or visiting, really glad that you're here. Glad you get to worship with us, and we love to worship Jesus, and that's why we sing songs. We sing just thanking Jesus for what he's done in his life, death, and resurrection on our behalf to forgive us of sin, reconcile us to God, and give us everlasting life. And we uh, worship him by singing, by sitting under the teaching of God's word. That's what we're going to do in just a minute. Uh, we're in the book of First Peter. It's been a, a fun study, and we love to take books of the Bible, just walk through them verse by verse, line by line, chapter by chapter, so you might know the full counsel by God's grace of what he's saying and not just understand certain texts, but texts within context. And so uh, we love to sit under the teaching of God's word as worship. We also love to take the Lord's Supper each week. That's why these tables are down front, so we might be nourished by the saving benefits of remembering what Christ has done and shedding his blood when our blood should have been shed and breaking his body when our body should have been broken for our sin. He did it in our place as our substitute, and he took the wrath of God for us, and he gladly forgave us and brings us salvation. So that's what the Lord's Supper does for us. It doesn't uh, increase righteousness. It doesn't add to the work of Christ. It simply nourishes us and strengthens us tangibly by edibly eating the gospel. And then um, we also give because God was very generous in giving us himself. Sorry, I control the... Um, the thing on my phone, I just started going to the worship slide. I'm still getting used to this, but anyways, sorry, Jonathan. Um, you guys are like, where's he going? Um, we, we give because God's been generous in giving us Jesus. We give on the silver boxes in the back wall, and I always say, if you're not a regular attender, remember, uh, please do not feel compelled to give. We're so glad you're here, and uh, we pray you come to know Jesus and love him with your whole heart. Um, two things before we get started. First is, uh, real quick, I've been meaning to say this for a while, we actually do have a lost and found here, uh, and um, it's just stacking up. So we decided, hey man, we're going to chuck everything. So uh, listen, if you haven't looked for that item in the last six months, uh, really there shouldn't be a reason you're going to go look for it now, but I'm still supposed to announce it anyways. Uh, we got a lost and found. Stuff's been in there for six months. If you have something you left, go see it. We're going to keep things for 30 days. We're going to do a 30-day trial, and then it's going to go in the garbage can, or one of us staff members will wear it or enjoy it, okay? So uh, you got 30 days from the time that you lose something to acquire that back the possession of it, okay? And it's uh, at the info desk, but seriously, if there's something that you lost and you're like, oh man, maybe I left it here, check with that team to let you know. Uh, covenant member gathering, if you guys are covenant members, want to remind you our biannual meeting is uh, the 9th, uh, 12.30 to 2.30. We're installing a number of new members and going to just be continuing to grow in grace together as a faith family. Um, I do want to let you know if you are a covenant member currently, uh, you're going to need an email from me tomorrow that I want you to look for that's going to uh, kind of tackle two things. One thing is we discussed last fall how we want to grow in meaningful membership, so we, I just need from you covenant renewals stuff, so it's going to be very easy for you because uh, our covenant membership has increased dramatically in a very short period of time, and so uh, it's hard for us to really steward and shepherd as faithfully as we want to. That's going to really help us pastors pastor you well and know really who's here, who's not here, um, just to have accountability and, and love you and serve you. So um, please keep your eye out for that tomorrow. There's also going to be an RCP on there for the member gathering, so we know just food-wise because there's so many people now. We have lunch 
together. I just want to make sure we provide the right amount of uh, food. Uh, And then this Wednesday's worship and prayer, we are kicking back into that rhythm of worship and prayer at 7.30, 7.30, 8.30. It's the last Wednesday of every month. We pressed pause for holiday um, in the winter, but we're, we're back there. So hope you can be there. Come from work. Come for a half hour, the full hour. It's a great time where we center our hearts on what God's called us to be as a people, to pray and seek God's face. We do believe that no bit can happen of spiritual good if we do not ask God to act. He's the active agent in this whole thing. It does not matter how great preaching is or how good worship is or how loving we are. If the Spirit of God doesn't fall, no transformation will happen. And so uh, we really believe in that. And so we'd encourage you as you're able to make that a part of your your rhythm. Uh, Let me just pray. We're going to dive into 1 Peter uh, chapter 4 and see what God would have us for for us this morning. Uh, Lord, thank you that we have the Bible. Thank you that we get to read it, study it, and listen to it. Thank you that you're a God who speaks, that you're unlike every God that man has tried to make, that you're the God of the living and the dead, the God of all creation, and a God who reveals himself and speaks clearly to his creation as to what he's like uh, and how he has organized things to be, and we're grateful that we can know you uh, intimately, not at a distance, and I pray that you'd speak to us, that you'd help us, that your Holy Spirit would give us illumination this morning where we need illumination, that you would encourage us, convict us, challenge us, and conform us more to the image of the Son because we gathered together today uh, than if we had not. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we're in First Peter. First Peter is a great book, and, and Peter was a follower of Jesus, disciple of Jesus, and he's writing to elect exiles, these people that belong to Jesus, and he's basically saying, um, you can endure suffering, you can endure persecution, you can endure adversity, you can endure all that culture will bring against you if you belong to him. Understand that you are uh, distinct from the world, yet not disengaged from culture. And so um, Peter wants to make sure we understand that, that, that even though we are seen as strangers and sojourners and aliens, that we are not to be sectarians, where we're separated from the world, where we live as monks and go in our cabins and just meditate for 17 hours. We love to actually come and engage culture and thoughtfully engage the life and mind around us. We're also not supposed to be syncretistic, which means that we uh, just become just like culture and look no different. And so uh, he's been helping us to understand how do we live on this mission together? Uh, How do we embrace adversity and embrace suffering and embrace mockery and, and take on the natural, inevitable persecution that will come from culture as we stand for Christ. And we see that as a joy. We don't see that as something that we're fearful of. We see that as something that is eager opportunity. And so um, he's been kind of just helping us understand this because Peter is someone who understood what it meant to um, doubt Jesus and deny Jesus and be afraid when it got heated, yet he ultimately returned to Jesus and saw that with Jesus he could endure all pain and suffering and opposition. And he's the guy who gets up in Acts 2 after his denial, after his doubting, and preaches one of the best sermons recorded in Scripture where 3,000 people repent of sin and turn to Jesus. It's awesome. And so um, here Peter's the same guy reminding you with empathy and understanding, this is how we live as elect exiles. Now, um, Peter has been walking through this reality that we live as distinct yet not disengaged from culture. And last week we saw that adversity is mission, that that's a way by which as adversity comes, it will naturally and inevitably open up conversations where people ask you for the hope within you. And he says, you can gladly open your mouth and tell them why you have hope despite what they see. And so 
Peter's going to continue to show today how every aspect of who we are as a people is opportunity for the mission of God to go forth and the person of Jesus Christ to shine brightly. And specifically, he's going to talk about our gifts. But we'll pick up in verse 7 of chapter 4. Here's what uh, Peter says. He says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Okay, I want you to understand something. The end of all things is at hand. This is just speaking of the return of Jesus Christ. So, the first century church um, understood with crystal clarity that Jesus Christ's return was imminent. Like, they lived in that type of framework, right, mentally. They, they believed Jesus was going to return in their lifetime. Um, and as you kind of read even the stuff that the first century Christians did, I would argue that them possessing that understanding is what made them unbelievable in what they did for the cause and mission of Jesus Christ. This is why um, Luke writes in Acts 17, they flipped the world upside down. Like they've just done things that, that you can't imagine through their boldness, through their suffering, through their persecution. And um, even though their timetable time table was wildly off, right, because here we are in 2020 and we're still awaiting the imminent return of Jesus, he will return, okay, and we could say just as they are, well, uh, we've missed that timetable, yet possessing this mentality, no one can argue wasn't totally fruitful for them. Uh, it clearly built into them something that we today lack um, or we're missing in some regard. And so Peter knows, I want to remind you, because he talked about last week, uh, don't forget, uh, Jesus is the one who's going to judge the living and the dead. He's constantly bringing that before you, that judgment is coming, that Jesus sees all and knows all and will handle all things. And here, as he gets into the mission again, he's saying, remember the Lord is at Hand And so Peter's simply saying, if we really believe he's returning or could return at any time, it would radically affect our life and the way that we live. Well, of course it would, Peter, right? Of course we're going to be self-controlled and sober-minded. I mean, how many of us are going to argue that? I mean, imagine if you knew today was the last day you had before Christ returned. I mean, how's that conversation going to go with your wife, right? You're going to be loving? You're going to be self-controlled, right? Are you going to, how's that going to go as you worship today with the church? Like, what's your worship experience like today? I mean, I mean how, how's that conversation going to go that, with that neighbor you run into when you pull in your driveway today? I mean, I mean, Peter's just saying, man, if we live within this framework, how different would our mission be? I mean, how, how urgent would it be? How self-controlled would we be? How seriously would we take sin and temptation and, and all these uh, different things? And he's saying you'd care about conversations. He's coming out of the same grid where he's saying, give an answer for the hope that's within you. Well, if the Lord's at hand, aren't you going to be eager to give an answer for the hope that's within you? If somebody asks you, aren't we going to be uh, really aware of our gentleness and kindness and respectfulness and winsomeness and courage? I mean, aren't we going to be aware of those things if we knew that God would return tomorrow? Wouldn't we care about loving our neighbor and loving one another? And this is why he says, hey, if you live with that perspective, you'll be self-controlled and sober-minded. Now, here's what's beautiful about the gospel and about being in Christian community when you hear any commands in Scripture. 
Um, because remember, chapter one undergirds this entire letter that Peter's writing. So he's already told you who you are in Christ. He's already told you of the Spirit of God. He's already told you of an inheritance that's waiting for you. He's already told you that God is keeping you by his power. So here he says, be self-controlled and sober-minded. But what's awesome is God doesn't just call us to commands that we should lovingly follow. He enables you to do them. Like he, he doesn't just say, hey, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Figure out how to do that. No, he actually enables you by his power and presence of his spirit and through the word of God working through the gathering and ordinary means of grace and scattering with community and loving brothers and sisters to actually fulfill this. So no one can look at that text and go, I can't be self-controlled and sober-minded. We absolutely can if we're in Christ. And it's eagerness for us. It's, it's expectant for us. It's not, oh, I have to be. It's I get to be. Man, I get to be self-controlled and sober-minded. I get to be conformed more to the image of Christ. I get to experience more of his fullness through the ways that Christ lives through me. And this is why he says, for the sake of your prayers. <laughs> He's just saying, man, remember who the active agent is in this whole thing. It's him. Shouldn't this make you more prayerful? I mean, if you knew the imminent return of Jesus was at hand and you knew what was at stake and you knew your salvation was at stake and you knew that you've seen Christ face to face and knowing all of those who you rub shoulders with who do not know Jesus was at stake, wouldn't this make you be more prayerful? Lord, man, give me courage to open my mouth. I mean, help me to be self-controlled. Help me to be wise. Help me to give an answer for the hope within me. Help me to suffer well and endure persecution knowing that, man, I've got eternity with Jesus. Would this not shape you? And would this not affect your prayers if all of this was in line? Then that's what he's saying. Yeah, for the sake of your, for the sake of your prayers, we'd be earnest in asking the Lord to help us with this perspective. Lord, help me to believe that really you can return at any moment. Lord, help me to think that way, right? He just said in verse two of last week, right, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. I'd argue this is the same way of thinking he wants to arm yourself with, even in the ways that you pray. Um, I mean, how easy is it for us, right? I mean, when was the last time you thought about the return of Jesus? When was the last time you thought Jesus could return before I even finished this sermon, Right? I mean, it's just not something that's on our register, right? I mean, we're just concerned with our day and me and our solar system and everything happening. And we live in Bergen County with high fences, right, and long driveways. And I mean, just like keep everybody at arm's length. You don't say hi to anybody, right? Live in a tunnel. And he's saying we don't live that way as Christians. For the sake of your prayers, ask God to help us with this. And this is why... um, Every sermon that I preach, I'm always asking, I'm always praying that the Holy Spirit of God would help us understand something or discern something. I realize I can't make anyone understand anything. I don't even understand anything apart from the Spirit's help. So we need the Holy Spirit to fall or no transformation's happening. Otherwise, you know what this is? Just information. I mean, we don't want just information. This is why corporate prayer on Wednesday is so huge. Right? We don't want just information. We don't want people just walking around learning theology. We want theology to lead to great biography and doxology, which means a great life to live and a great worship of God. That's what we want, but it's not going to happen if we don't ask God to do it. So we're stacking logs and asking him to light this thing. But we can't light it. He has to do that. So it makes you fully dependent on him for the sake of our prayers Then he says this in verse 8, he continues with this. He says, above all, 
Keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality without grumbling. So, so he's continuing the mission of God. He, what's great about Peter is he kind of constantly presses pause and inserts and presses pause and inserts and presses pause and reminds you. And he talks about outside the family of God. And then he talks about inside the family of God. And then he talks about your witness outside the family of God. Then how your witness inside the family of God is going to be a witness to the outside the family of God. This is what he's doing here. He's reminding you again, above all, and by the way, I don't know if you noticed this, he just said this in chapter one, verse 22. So he's just repeating himself. Keep loving one another earnestly. It's the same word, a love that stretches. I don't know if you remember that sermon from weeks ago, but he talked about us loving one another from a pure heart with a love that stretches, and it comes to that word octanos, which means you, you stretch beyond what you're capable of and how you grow in your love because you've been loved supernaturally, not naturally. You can love supernaturally, not naturally. It's this idea of what you do in the V-sit reach when you were young in gym class and you couldn't go past your heels and then the more you stretched, you could then maybe get an inch past your heels and then maybe two inches and it's this love that stretches. It learns how to love beyond its capability. Um, we're not limited by our framework. God's given us his Holy Spirit to go beyond that. So he says here that we love one another earnestly. And I love that he says it again because it's obviously important then for Peter to say it again. It's, there's something about the mission of God, a suffering, where loving one another earnestly is tied to that. Well, there's something Peter sees that, where that matters, um, and I think it's just, again, him reminding us that we're just not individuals living individually different, but we're a people, 1 Peter 2.9, a chosen people, a chosen race, a royal priesthood set apart and distinct. So we're a people doing this together. So we're together for the sake of our prayers, remembering the Lord is at hand. We're reminding each other of that. Right? We're, we're together loving one another earnestly because of what's at stake. The Lord can return at any time. I don't have time to be petty. Like, like I need to be forgiving. Um, and so here he's, he's showing that Christian love is sacrificial, not sentimental. Christian love is sacrificial, not sentimental. That word earnestly means we keep going with a love that stretches. Um, and I love it because he says this type of love does what? It covers a multitude of sins. When you're on a mission, you don't have a lot of time to get caught up in petty things, do you? Do you? Okay, right? Like, I mean, you go to war, like, you're not whining about the coffee being cold, right? I mean, there's just, there's just things you're not whining about or worrying about or getting caught up in. And, and Peter knows you're on a mission and he knows that loving one another earnestly matters to that mission. And he knows that there's something about love covering a multitude of sins that matters to our mission as a family being a witness of the glory of God and glory of Christ to a lost and dying world. Interesting that he knows that this type of love that stretches pushes beyond natural capabilities. So there will be times where out of love for the sake of the mission we're on, we'll overlook offenses. You imagine the world looking in going, man, they seriously just cannot agree? Like they literally can't forgive for that? Don't they, don't they go to the same church? Don't they love the same Jesus? I mean, hasn't, haven't we failed God more than anyone has failed you? Right? And, and here he's saying, man, sometimes, brothers and sisters, love just covers a multitude of sins. 
um, sometimes we just overlook offenses because we're on mission. There'll be many times where we, people will hurt us and we will love with a love that stretches. So please hear me. Every sin is not to be rebuked. <laughs> Could you imagine that circus, right? I mean, you know no marriage would make it and no kids would make it. If, if, if there was never a type of love given to us that, that stretched and, and just covered a multitude of sins, I mean, we would be constantly just agonizing over, I mean, are you going you gonna to pay me back for that? Are you over that? Are you forgiven for that? Hey, do you see what you did there? I mean, it would be just tit for tat. It would be insanity. And Peter's going, man, we're on a much bigger mission here, okay? So if somebody didn't say hi to you today or somebody didn't give you the kiss you wanted today, let's go, okay? Let's, let's get on this mission. Love sometimes just covers a multitude of sins. I'm not talking about big, heinous, gross, clear, explicit sin. I'm talking about just the day-to-day where we all struggle with residual effects of the fall. Welcome to the family. Your family at home is dysfunctional. So is the family of God. Should be no surprise. Any family you're part of is imperfect. And so he says, we've got Christ at the helm and a mission ahead of us. So just be careful that you don't let that thing just cause cancer. Man, love covers a multitude of sins. Um, where was I? I was excited about what I was saying. Um, <laughs> Uh, anyways, I also lost my, my remote, so that stinks. Um, so you're going to have to do it for me, Jonathan. It says something else. It says it shows hospitality without grumbling. It does not just say something, love does something. Um, now, now this, I love this, because it pushes you beyond your comforts and compels you to mission. And this word actually has less to do with you being able to cook a mean meal in your home and have people over, and it has more to be, do with you engaging the lost and dying world. So he hasn't left his train of thought with mission. So you're going, wait a second, hospitality? I thought he was talking about that we're elect exiles and we're engaging people outside of the family of God. He is. That word actually means to be a lover of strangers, so he says, you, you're also to be a lover of strangers without grumbling. You're all supposed to do this and be on this mission without grumbling. This alludes to the fact that we're to be a people who lovingly engage the lost world around us. We understand we've been, all that we've been given to us by God is so we might engage those around us and serve them. Yes, serve the people in the church. Yes, serve those outside the church, and Peter knows there will be a temptation to grumble. <laughs> of course there will be, Peter. I love the Bible. It's just so honest, right? I mean, you just, you ever find yourself reading, you're like, of course, because I was doing that yesterday, right? I mean, you're like, it just strips you naked. It just shows your heart the way that it really is, and here he's showing that there's a temptation to grumble. How many of you find, because this is all within the framework of suffering, how many of you find that as your burden increases, your patience decreases? I mean, can I get an amen, right? I mean, I mean as, your, as your burden increases, don't you become more impatient? Um, so true, and Peter knows that. Peter knows this great call to be a lover of strangers in a lost world as you're suffering. You're like, oh, I gotta love them? Oh, grumble, 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 right? Well, I gotta say hi to my neighbor? Man, I'm tired, I just got home from work. What, what, they got their water heater broke again? I gotta call somebody? I mean, I just, the dog's in my yard again, I gotta graciously bring it back? I mean, he just, he knows there's a temptation to grumble. I see the same person at the bus stop again. 
They're just annoying. I don't want to talk to them. They talk a lot. I don't want to talk. I'm introverted. They're extroverted. I, grumble, grumble. Right? He just knows there's temptation to grumble in this. Um, but here's the great thing. Um, he knows naturally suffering people just become selfish people. Um, this is true for all of us, myself included. When we suffer, we become selfish. You become the center of the solar system and everybody orbits around you. Look at me, see me, pay attention to me, serve me, notice me. And he's going, man, that's gonna be really hard to then look outward and go serve them, pay attention to them, love them. Um, maybe as you're suffering, you're forgetting that many other people are suffering too. Maybe, maybe as you're in pain, you forget that many other people are in pain too. Maybe you forget as you feel lonely, many other people feel lonely too. And this is part of what he is showing us in this mission of God, that we serve them with the good news of Jesus. We don't grumble. Um, this is so practical. Every year around Christmas time, my wife Kristen has this thing where she loves to make Christmas cookies for a whole street, and she'll put like a Christmas thing in there and write the gospel in there. But she always sends Jackson and I out to deliver it. <laughs> and I'm, I'm always like, well, well, babe, I mean, this is a great idea. You go do it. I mean, you, you labored. I mean, I, and so this year, man, she, she made, I mean, so many. And, and um, some of you guys probably got them. Bless you. Um, and she's like, I'm, I still remember I was sitting on the couch, and I don't know, it had just been a really long week, and it was like, you know, Christmas season, and there's way too much to do, and way too many things you're trying to plan, and Christmas Eve services, and all that stuff, and it was like, I had literally just sat down. I had just, you know when you like just sit down? And you're like, your muscles just like release. And I hear this, babe, and I'm like, yeah. Hey, can you and Jackson go out and do the delivery? And I'm like, I just sat down. Yeah, a lot of people on the street that need to know Jesus. That's what it says. And I'm just grumbling, man. Like, I don't want to show hospitality, right? Like, I know, but I can talk to them. She's like, I know, but it'll be a blessing, and we got to do this. And I'm like, no, I got to do this. Not we. I got to do this. Yeah, I know. We're teaching Jackson how to love our neighbors. So you're taking Jackson. She's like, I served in the kitchen. You're going to go take him outside. I'm like, okay. So, I mean, literally, I still remember. I was just grumbling. And Jackson, so, it's so humbling, kids, right? He just looks like, Dad, shouldn't this be, like, exciting for us? I was just... No, no, don't you all get it. No, I, was just, I was just, you're right, buddy. You're right. I was waiting for him to be like, I mean, you're a pastor, Dad, you know. Um, it's just so true. We just grumble and we forget, man, there's all these people on my street. And praise God, my wife loves them enough to make them cookies and think to write the gospel inside and, and think to want those distributed at a time where we know a lot of the people on our street are lonely and broken, have experienced death and heartache and loss. And just, Peter knows it's natural for you to grumble. Um, and so there are many places in Scripture where we see grumbling against the Lord, right? When, when, when God does something great in their life. And so he wants to remind us that we're on this mission. We're on this mission, understanding that there has been patience given to us so we can extend patience to others, and, and also though he knows that grumbling affects everyone around you. He knows it affects the whole community of faith. Um, man, what happens when um, in your family somebody grumbles about what God has called us to do? 
it affects your whole family. Dad's grumbling affects the whole family. Mom's grumbling affects the whole family. And it was that, man, in this mission, let's be eager. Let's not complain. Let's be excited. Let's remember who we are in Christ. Let's remember what God's given us. And here he's going to show us God's given us gifts to do this. And God's given us gifts um, to serve up, build up the body. And it's amazing. I was going to show how some in the way that we do that here is going to actually be a bright light to the world around them. And there's something about grumbling and serving that's connected. Verse 10, as each has received a gift... Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. I love it. He rolls into gifts. There's something about he knows there's going to be grumbling and showing hospitality to the outside world. And there might be even grumbling when he calls you to use your gifts to build up the body. That will be a mission to display to the people that God is good and Jesus is glorious. And so he rolls into gifts here, and he says they're a grace. I love it. That just means they're, they're given to us by God. He's showing us that, yes, we're unified. Yes, we love one another. Yes, we forgive and put up with one another and love with a love that stretches. Yet there's diversity in our unity. And we're uniquely wired and shaped by God for his glory. We're not all the same. We all have unique fingerprints. Ephesians 2 says we're his workmanship. That word literally means masterpiece. You are uniquely you. There is no one else who is you. We do not need everyone to be you. We need you to be you. We do not need more Mike Reeds. Trust me, this church would be the worst place that exists. So I tell the elder bro, we don't need more Mike Reeds. We need Peter Choas and Mike McKinney's and Don Hoytsmas and John Idos. We don't need more than one of anyone. We need you and only you, and we need you to operate and flourish in the ways God's designed and wired you. And that is somehow going to do something crazy for the mission of God, if we operate in that way. And so here he shows us that these gifts are all given according to how God chooses to measure them out. That's why he calls them a varied grace. That means it's free. It was given to you. You didn't purchase them. You didn't even ask for them. God just gave them to you. He wired you like that. Now, I want you to understand first how radical it is that God is a giver, that God is a giver of gifts. This is so foreign to all other belief systems that he gives gifts to his people. If you look at all other belief systems, God is a taker. God demands rituals. God demands merits. God demands works. God demands certain things, certain trips to certain places. The God of the Bible constantly gives. He gives Jesus. He gives fully the person work of his son. He gives his righteousness. He ascends and gives his spirit. And then he gives gifts to people. And what's amazing is he doesn't give the church abilities, he gives the church people. And that's huge. So, so how are we gonna survive this thing, Peter? You. The way you're wired and shaped, the way that God has created you. And this is why Jesus comes and lives without sin, dies a payment for sin, resurrects and ascends, fills heaven with glory, gifts his Holy Spirit, and he gifts Love this aspect of the gospel. He gifts people with varied gifts. Now listen, when we talk about spiritual gifts, people put out surveys, charts, graphs, tests. I'm not saying those things are wrong. I'm just saying I'm gonna caution you because I don't believe people hop into a category and they have one fixed gift. I don't believe that. Um, I actually believe because if you look at scripture, if you read Romans 12, if you read 1 Corinthians 12, he lays out broad categories constantly. 
So, so here Peter doesn't even define categories. Here Peter gives you two broad strokes, speaking gifts and serving gifts. That's all Peter does here. He gives you speaking gifts and serving gifts. That's why he says, if you speak, if you give counsel, if you give discernment, if you give wisdom, if you give prayer, I love it. Uh, you're just speaking wisdom from God. You're just saying what God has said. That's what it means. You speak oracles of God. It doesn't mean that you have some special power that says something that no one's ever heard before. It means that you're constantly undergirded by what God has already said. Hebrews talks about how we speak oracles of God, meaning the truth and wisdom of God. This is why a good thing to test if somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I got a word from the Lord, great. I can't wait to hear what you have to say, and I can't wait to hear how it aligns with what God has already said. If God hasn't already said that, then don't listen to them. This is not complicated. The, the, the Christian world is not complicated. I see gorillas. I don't know. I see a ball. I don't know. I just want you to see Jesus, and I want you to hear what he said, and I want you to interpret things based upon what God's word has said. We get so nuts, and, and here he's just saying, if you have the gift of giving discernment, wisdom, knowledge, encouragement, man, do that and keep doing that with what God has already told you with how God has already revealed himself in the scripture. That's what you do. And this is why he says if you serve, man, you serve with the strength God supplies. It's not your strength. It's the strength that God supplies. He's constantly rooting you with what God has done and how God has worked in our lives. So let me just get on the ground level to help you understand what I meant by not fixed gifts. If someone were to say to me, um, Mike, what are your gifts? What are, you, what are your spiritual gifts? I... I would say they're a combination of things that the Spirit of God has given me to serve and build up the body of Christ. It's not one hard, fast thing. So I would say sometimes it's leading, sometimes it's preaching, sometimes it's counseling, sometimes it's compassion. And even within that, the Spirit of God has given me in my preaching, leading, teaching, compassion, counseling, differences than somebody else who leads, preaches, teaches, counsels, and shows compassion. So, so it's not this like one-armed fast thing. I'm still this, this, this broad stroke, this Ephesians 2 masterpiece uniquely wired by God where, where I'm still not even gonna do those things just like somebody else. That's awesome. I mean, that you got, I want you to see the beauty in that. It's not just these fixed categories. We all do the same thing the same way. It's, it's you are you, you're unique, you're beautifully made by God in his image for his glory to edify and build up the church. This is profound what he's getting at here. So God has uniquely marked us. So my emphasis in leading, my emphasis in counsel, my emphasis in care is gonna look different from another person's. But they still might share the same spiritual gift, right? But it's not gonna look the same, it's not gonna be the exact same. And it shouldn't be. So some of you are going to ask, well, how do I know what my gift is? I would simply ask two things. One, what spiritual ministry do you do that God blesses and you have deep abiding joy and satisfaction in? What do you do that God blesses and that you have deep abiding joy and satisfaction in? And the second thing I'd ask you is, what do godly people affirm in you? What do godly people affirm in you? Hey, I see this in you. And if they love Jesus and follow Jesus and you know they have a walk with the Lord, listen to them. Don't just write it off. Even if it's something that you don't see. No, oh, I don't believe that. My wife told me for three years of dating in college, you're gonna be in ministry. <laughs> I would just laugh at her. 
Now she laughs every night that we go to sleep, right? Who's laughing now? I mean, I just, I didn't see it. I mean, the guy, Dale Sutherland, who thought I had a teaching gift was like, no, 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 I don't want to preach. I don't want to teach. That's not me. No, I, I think you do, right? I mean, so, so, so you, you walk in those things. Can I also say that um, nobody excels at everything? Oh, that's such good news, right? Like, did you know that everyone has a large place in their life where they are well below average? Everyone, myself included. All right, there are many things I just can't do and I shouldn't do and I shouldn't touch, I shouldn't get near, all right? That's where the elders are in place. Mike, don't touch that. Don't go near that. That's not your place, right? That's why we have spouses, right? Don't cook. Don't do this. Don't do that. You'll burn the house down. You stink. Just focus on how God has made you, right? So just know that, man. It's not we're looking for you to excel at everything, man. It's okay if it's only one thing. And that's beautiful that God has given you that, that thing. And I love how Peter ends this because he just gives you the motivation for us using our gifts, verse 11, in order that what? In order that in everything God might be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I love what Peter is doing. Peter will not stop drawing your attention back to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He will not let you leave the gospel of Jesus Christ no matter what he's talking about. So here's what's amazing in this context as you're reading this, as he's looking at, okay, all of this is to be done so that God might be glorified through Jesus Christ. You guys know, I think, that we believe as a church that all that we do and all that we are is ultimately for the glory of God's name and renown. That's why we exist. We don't exist for you and I. We don't exist ultimately that we would feel loved or shepherded or cared for. We ultimately exist so that God might be glorified and in our worshiping God, our joy might be full. He is the pinnacle. He is the aim. He is the focus. That, that's, that's, that's why we exist. That's the crux of creation. Okay, so that means no matter what we do down here, nothing is removed from that aim. So here's what's amazing, and I, I, think, it's, I think it's big. Peter is somehow saying, and I don't know how this all works out, but that when God's people gather and God's people operate in such a way by which they use their unique wirings the way God has intended to build up the body of Christ, that is a massive tool by which the mission of God shines brightly. Okay, so what does that mean? Let's go then. I mean, let's find out what these things are and let's serve and let's give our lives and give our hands to the mission of God and building up the church as people see the church and people operating in their gifts the way God has designed and wired them, the glory of God might shine brightly and the mission of God might go forth. That's why we do it. We don't do it so people feel better about themselves or so that people feel like, oh, now I have a place. That's not why we do it. You gotta get the why, please. Otherwise what? Why do anything? I say this a lot. Why, why do community? Which is to do community? No, because there's an eagerness in that by which there's a shaping us for the mission of God, conforming us more to the image of his son. And God gets glory as he sees his people gathering together, worshiping his name. That, okay, now I'm getting somewhere. I mean, now there's fuel that can sustain me. Otherwise, we just do things, right? We just do evangelism. Why? I don't know. That's what I'm supposed to do. No. God's fame and renown might shine brightly. 
as he sees people opening their mouth for the hope within them, as he sees somebody on their block operating in a different way by which the glory of Christ can be seen spiritually and supernaturally as they witness that family doing life together. Man, that's so amazing. That's so powerful. That's so glorious. It's, it's not now just another day pulling into your driveway. Um, and so this is what he's showing us here. There's one other thing I want you to see here, though, and it's a big one, because I think this is how you can pull all this together. Peter shows you here in verse 11 that all of this is tied to the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's very clear. This is in everything. So God might be glorified through Jesus Christ. Everything I've just told you that Jesus Christ has done in ransoming you, rescuing you, saving you, adopting you, making you his own. So here's what is amazing. And if you read Ephesians 4, go read Ephesians 4 today or some other time. He also connects spiritual gifts directly with the person and work of Jesus Christ as well when he talks about all that he gives to the church. So here's what I think you're seeing. From Peter, from Paul, from the writers of the New Testament is, is they're showing you that there is something about Jesus' suffering, Jesus' death, Jesus' atonement, Jesus' rescue from the enslavement of Satan, sin, and death from us, Jesus' absorbing the wrath of God on our behalf, Jesus doing everything for to whom we would belong to, that was not just the cost of salvation, that was the cost of your gift. Like that's what it cost to wire you and gift you with how he's gifted you. That's amazing. So the source of the gift is God himself, the cost of the gift is Christ himself. Now, what, is the, what does this do, man? This makes your unique wiring infinitely valuable. This makes who you are and how you serve and how you build up the body of Christ of infinite price because what was the cost of it? Christ slaughtered, absorbing wrath, atoning for sin, not just so Mike Reed can be happy with God so that I might also be unleashed on mission using the gifts and wirings that he's asked me to do and no one else to do for the building up of his body so Christ shines brightly and the mission of God goes forth. So don't ignore your gift. Don't you dare ignore your gift. The price was Christ. And don't you dare think, well, mine's subpar. Mine's JV. It ain't JV. They're all varsity. All of them. All are unique roles. Kids, greeting, hospitality, preaching, leading, praying, serving, loving, discernment, wisdom, knowledge, music. Oh, man. They're all of infinite price. So let me just close with this. Just speaking of natural gifts and spiritual gifts, I just want to say this. You can, you can use both for the glory of God and building up of the church. Both. Remember, there isn't sacred or secular work. I'm a pastor. My job's not more holy than your job if you're in education, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a construction worker, whether you're a student. It's roles, distinct roles, equal in dignity, value, and worth, just like home, roles, husband and wife, but equal in dignity, value, and worth. So because of that, let me just say this. Um, it's not that one's more holy for the good of the church. So, Because some people say, what's my spiritual gift, Mike? Uh, I might not know. But whether it's your natural gift or your spiritual gift, use it to build up the church. And here's what I mean by this. Um, both bring glory to God. Maybe you've been gifted with singing. 
gifted with singing, right? I want you up here if you're gifted with singing. Otherwise, I want you to sing with all the rest of us. We're okay, you know. God says make a joyful noise, not a perfect noise. So we're all good. But listen, maybe you've been gifted with singing. That isn't a spiritual gift. I know a lot of non-Christians, non-dwelt by the Spirit that can knock the walls off. But maybe use that natural gift and you realize, oh my gosh, God can use that natural gift for the building up of this body, for the mission of God to go forth and Jesus Christ to shine brightly. So whether it's a natural gift or a spiritual gift, we use our gifts for the glory of God now, not for ourselves. We're not self-centered, but God-centered. Let me say this as well. You don't need me or someone in leadership to put you in a position to use your gifts. Many of you are using your gifts now, your gifts of mercy, your gifts of compassion, teaching and growth groups, the ways you exhort others, evangelism, the way you serve and love your neighbors. Um, Just be careful not to categorize. Pastor Mike, you gotta put me somewhere. Um, And then finally, let me just say this. Jesus defines you, not your gift, not your wiring. Jesus defines you, not your gift. Your identity is your position in Jesus Christ, not the activity that flows out of your relationship with Jesus Christ. You're not what you do. You're solely what Jesus has done. And as long as we stay there, God can do a lot of great things through us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you've given your church gifts. And we pray even today on Step Up Sunday that you might uh, move us towards places by which we can discern our wirings and the ways that you've uniquely made us so that we might continue to be necessary and integral and invaluable to the work of God here. Uh, Jesus, use us um, as we see the ways by which you've made us. Might we treasure um, not looking at others but looking at ourselves and seeing the work of Christ in saving us, rescuing us, ransoming us to you and then in giving us and shaping us more to the image of your son. Help us to not be grumblers and complainers. Help us to be unifiers and not dividers. Help us to build up this body in helpful ways, not harmful ways. Help us to love one another earnestly with a love that stretches. God, we are, for the sake of our prayers right now, asking you to help us in these ways. We cannot do this naturally. We need to be able to do it supernaturally, so we trust that your Holy Spirit can enable us to do these things day by day, hour by hour, progress, not perfection, over time, Conform us as a people that look like you, love you, and glorify your name so that you might receive glory forever and ever. Amen.